Right, here we go. We would just talk briefly about the, the whip uh, as regards what's happened in the last few days. Uh, and now we appear to be entering another sort of quasi-consultation phase, uh, Paul, where the BHA have issued a statement saying that we are now listening to various deputations from riders, particularly with regard to use of the whip in forehand, backhand. At what point do you just say, well, hang on a minute, we've been through this many committee phases, this much review, this much board ratification, these many jockeys have been listened to, these many submissions. At what point do you just say, there are the rules on the table, now get on with it? The BHA did that in 2011, mm -hmm. and it didn't work. And I think their announcement, their statement on Friday, I think they deserve an awful lot of credit for. I mean, looking from the outside in, it doesn't really look like the BHA has done anything wrong in this process at all. It's been really, really thorough. They've taken their time. They've listened to lots of people. But obviously, with the concerns now being raised, for them to announce that on Friday night, as they did, that they are willing to listen and maybe reconsider certain, maybe reconsider certain elements, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. And it's a very different approach with different people in charge to 2011 when it was, no, these are the rules. This is what's happening. Don't care what you say. You can throw your licence. Not that you can because you don't have a paper licence. You can throw your licence. You can threaten to strike. You can threaten to quit. We're going to do this. And then it just it dragged on for months and months. And then I remember the first thing I had to do in my role at the PJA because I joined in February 2012 and just got together with Paul Bitter and said, look, we've got to get this resolved because it's not going away. So doing what they've done now, saving it, hopefully getting to that point and over the next month also come to a resolution that will work. Um, to what extent does this whole debate go back to your point earlier about us all just talking amongst ourselves and a sort of toxic insularity and not really an outward facing I don't, think, I don't think it applies here at all because I mean, we did a, a huge BHA and led by Brant Dunshay and David Jones, uh, who's a colleague on the BHA board, did a huge public consultation inviting the public to talk about. There's a steering committee of the great and good, with some mm -hmm. exceptions. And it? others, yeah. With some exceptions. And, um, you know, this has actually been delayed to allow for technical issues to be uh, taken care of. So um, I'm part of the BHA board that rubber stumped it in, in November. Now, it's fine. Um, so if you're part of the BHA board that's rubber stamped it for right or wrong, and however bad or good these recommendations mm. were, should it not just should they not get? What, at what point do you just say, get on with it? Well, I think it's going to come. Um, the question is when. I think it's uh, I think it's unfortunate. I'm not blaming the PJA because I think you know they went through their consultation process. I think getting a hold of 400 self-employed professionals up and down the country, but I think some jockeys have fessed up that they didn't engage early enough, and they've suddenly woken up now, and, you know, and that's the issue. Um, and so uh, the BHA are talking to them, but at some point we've got to get on with it because we need to fulfil the two objectives of the review, which is to ensure more judicious use of the whip and to ensure that we're meeting uh, outside public uh, perception uh, going forward. All right, I've um, talked to Wilf a little bit about the £800 million figure earlier in the week and a loss to £40 million in racing because of the well self-imposed affordability checks at the moment, Neil, Neil Channing, uh, with no sign of the white paper approaching. Um, Wilf felt those figures tallied up pretty well. How long is this process going to wind on for? 
Well, I mean, you know, I think I think I was on uh, maybe a couple of appearances ago, and I said we'll, we'll definitely have the white paper by Christmas because that's what people <laughs> were really saying. Back in uh, this play, didn't he? It's, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, you know, the, the the rumor mill now says that the white paper's going to uh, kick the can down the road a little bit with affordability, and there'll be another consultation and affordability, affordability won't be specifically mentioned in potential legislation. There won't be any legislation anyway. The white paper, generally a white paper, you know, is, is a kind of menu for what the, the Act of Parliament's going to look like, and it gets kicked around a bit and changed. Um, it seems like this government are not keen on actually passing any legislation before the next election. Uh, I think they're going to put the white paper out and then do nothing with it, really. So, uh, you know, so what's it has, the potential? Well, well, that's left a sort of a, I don't want to use the expression power vacuum, but it, it's kind of allowed the Gambling Commission to sort of say, well, we'll just crack on then and, and do, do whatever we need to do, uh, which is why affordability has come in for many, many punters, and bookmakers will tell you nine out of ten people are not interested in, in complying with any of the stuff. They don't want to send in their bank statements. They don't want to send in their P60. Uh, they don't want to send in their company accounts. Uh, and some people would say, well, all this, all this money that's not being gambled, that was being gambled, that must prove that we're saving people from themselves from problem gambling. Well, first of all, I don't agree with that on two levels. One. We don't know that they've stopped gambling. Plenty of these people may still be cracking away just in the black market. Mm. And secondly, we don't know that the people we've stopped from gambling have stopped because they had a problem with gambling. Most of them will have stopped because they feel like the procedure is a total pain in the bum and they don't want to go through it. Or they're just not happy with giving those levels of information. Uh, to, to bookmaking companies, and you, why you, would that? You can keep going, because I know you wanted your say on the Gambling Commission. Well, I just, I, 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 let me speak about the Gambling Commission a little bit, because it is over two years now that we've been talking about this, and I know that on Luck on Sunday you've tried to get people from the Gambling Commission to come on. I don't think I've ever seen a person from the Gambling Commission speaking on Sky Racing, or on Racing TV, or on ITV Racing, or even on the news about this stuff. You know, this this quango has enormous amounts of power. Uh, maybe 800 million is being less lost to gambling turnover, which would mean 40 million uh, to racing. On the say-so of an unelected quango, who who have basically decided to pick up the ball and run with it, when no legislation has been passed, I, I see the CEO of the Gambling Commission, uh, Andrew Rhodes, made a speech last month where he said, we don't want to tell people, we don't want to make moral decisions on how people spend their money. Well, what the hell is he doing? Because he's telling the operators that they have to put in these affordability checks. None of them, they're all being given these kind of vague guidelines. You can go to one company and you're told, you know, you earn X amount of money, you're allowed to deposit 400 a month. Another company asks you for half the information and they tell you you can deposit 800 a month. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. All of the bookmakers tell you what they would really like is clarity and some proper guidelines. They're all terrified that they're going to do it wrong and get fined by the Gambling Commission. But the Gambling Commission don't really tell them what the rules are. They're all playing blind. 
It's, the Gambling Commission is a ridiculous organisation run by people that don't know anything about gambling. No, they're unaccountable because they won't come on the media and talk about what's happening. I, I think it's a disgrace. They're, they're actually ruining the horse racing industry to an extent. And who voted for the Gambling Commission? Well, you've got two seconds left, Will Force, but you just nodded that, that, that all the way through that. Up. That, that, that cleared that up. <laughs> Good. I, I, by, the, by the look of your body language, you agree with everything he said? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, we've obviously got a relationship with the Gambling Commission and they, they exist for a purpose, but I think... I'm sure know, they're I, all I, lovely fellas. I'm sure they are. We've made our point about affordability checks and civil liberties and common sense when it comes to that, so that, that's why I hope that we can get to a position where we, where we reach some common sense on this because it's, um, it's in danger of spinning out of control. Talk about um, matters sort of closer to this week and the all-weather fixtures that have been abandoned. Newcastle, Chelmsford, Kempton... Yeah. Lingfield, all finding different ways of, of getting abandoned, Wilf. Sometimes it's got a, a certain comedic element to it, but it's no laughing matter when racecourses are losing money, when the industry's losing money, on surfaces that are supposed to keep the show on the road in these circumstances. Well, I'm, it won't surprise you, I'll make a stout defence of uh, Clark's of the courses, particularly the summer that we've just been through, the way they've maintained ground. Uh, during the, the hottest summer since 1976. I think it's been a phenomenal effort. The issue with all weather is, you know, all weather's fine up to a point, but we were looking at Siberian temperatures. Once you get to minus seven, minus eight, you really are in trouble. And I think, to be fair to uh, the courses last week, I think both Kempton and Chalmers of the, um, the climate did not go in line with the forecast and, and reached a level that wasn't sustainable. You've got to give racing every chance to go ahead, particularly when you're in a week or two when there's not been much racing. So, you know, Clark's harrowing, working through the night to get this on. I think it's a really thankless uh, task. Um, it's unfortunate. Clearly, it's not all weather per se, but it's been called that for however long it's been in existence. It's quite difficult to rebrand. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, semantics aside, yeah. it's just a question of... Uh, it all coming at a very unfortunate time. Yeah. It's very hard to legislate for starting stalls freezing, the fog coming down at Kempton, balling up under underfoot yeah. at Lingfield, and a bit of a difference of opinion at Newcastle. I suppose Newcastle was the contentious one, wasn't it? Well, it was, yeah, given that we, we, you know, we had no turf racing that day. Uh, and, and the I, clerk said, we'll race. Well, and, and I think we'll, 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 we'll we wait for the BHA course inspectors to opine on that, and that, and that, will, and that will come. But, you know, everybody wants to get racing on and give it the best shot. Unfortunately, that means, you know, it can get quite late in the day before you, you make that call. But, you know, the, the, the people working these tracks trying to get on work in all the hours God sends in, in pretty desperate uh, conditions to try and get racing on. It, it's unfortunate when it's called off late on. Are you happy with a situation where ultimately it's the BHA's responsibility whether the race meeting takes place or not? Or, or would, would you prefer to take the race course manager or the clerk of the courses um, steer on that? I think each, each individual situation is different. We saw that in May when we had four uh, mid-race abandonments and, and the BHA came out and said there was no, there was no pattern to it. Mm -hmm. I think the grown-ups need to you know, be on the track and, and decide whether it's raceable or not. But the important thing is, what would happen if you call the meeting off at 9 o'clock in the morning and temperatures go up to 2 degrees, you then get pilloried yeah. for not putting the meeting on. So you, you, you're between a rock and a hard place, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> talking of um, being pilloried for what races go on and what races don't, the Long Walk Hurdle's been rescheduled and takes place at Kempton Park on Boxing Day. Kempton very happy to stage the fixture and, and put on the, the requisite money, so bravo to them. One, one of them, it could have been 27th, but it's Boxing Day, it'll be great. It's Paisley Park against Champ again. Other uh, races have not been so fortunate, so um, some of the other uh, races that 
were scheduled to take place over the Christmas period, particularly the international hurdle, for example, Paul, haven't been rescheduled. Is this a, is this a good example of um, new racing's agility, trying to think carefully about what races are necessary and what races aren't? I think the, the, the BHA have been really good about rescheduling races going back two, three, four, mm. five years now. I don't think that's anything to do with the revised structure of, of the governance of the sport. I think it's great that they're being rescheduled. You come to expect these races. Except some are and some aren't. That's the yeah, and you've got to make the call. It's, it's whether it impacts on other races that are already in the calendar. And look, the abandonments of late have been just bad luck. I, I, Clark's of the course's job is not a job that I would envy. Um, and I, I look, on the plus side, having had no racing for however long it's been and with all the jump abandonments and the all-weather, at least we might see an increase in uh, average field sizes. Absolutely. We might see some increased attendances over Christmas as well, fingers crossed. Well, just for those who aren't quite familiar, if a race is moved from track A to track B and they're not part of the same racecourse group, for example, is track B then picking up the tab for that race? Yeah, there they are, yeah. So Kempton yeah. Park is now, or the Jock Club, are now picking up the yeah. tab yeah. for the long walk hurdle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've got four... Uh, Greyhound races on the day, so it's going to make up for the for the lack of racing over the past uh, week or two. It's a, it's a great lineup for uh, for Boxing Day. Uh, but that's that's not an insignificant amount of money, is it? No. And what? And, and is there a deal then done with the racecourse that did have it, and who has had an insurance payout or whatever, that they then contribute something to the to the pot? I'm not party to what individual racecourses do. There, there may well be some deals that they do, but you know, we're the trade body representing the racecourses. We don't get involved in the internal. Deals that racecourses do when these issues. Okay, so there isn't, there is not a blanket it's not a part policy, policy no. and there isn't no. a BHA stipulated no, policy as to how no, those finances. No, no, it'll are. be very individual. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, let's talk about the Irish Derby, which has been moved back to its traditional home of Sunday. It's been run on Saturday since 2011, but most of the good Irish racing takes place on a Sunday. And there's an interesting debate here, Neil, as well, which is bubbling away and has been bubbling away for a couple of years as to whether the Irish Derby should be cut back to ten furlongs. Um, because they fear its future at 12 furlongs is fundamentally doomed, particularly if they don't get the Derby winner from from Epsom. And now that the Jockey Club is uh, at 10 furlongs, they will never get that clash again between uh-huh. the French and English Derby winners. I haven't thought about that. Um, I guess uh, that's bad, because normally I find myself saying, oh, racing's got too many traditionalists, everybody wants to cling to never changing anything. Uh, but I kind of feel like derbies have to be a mile and a half, don't they? Otherwise, they're not really derbies. Uh, that's awful, though, because I don't like to be an old fuddy-duddy traditionalist. No, you're right, because obviously there, that does... Yeah, I don't know. Yes, the I British Jockey Club is not a mile and a half. No, I know that. I the know Kentucky that. Derby no, is not a mile and a half. Yeah, I'm aware of that, but I, I just... Yeah, I think I feel like that might be a slippery slope. But... Um, but having said that, the Sunday thing I think is great because I think, you know, I, I'm a, always a, a big advocate for the UK racing being on a Sunday much stronger than it is. And I, I like, you know, I, it, it, it's just bizarre to me that, you know, Sunday isn't a bigger racing day in, in, in Great Britain. Uh, yeah, and that's clearly something that Ireland has re- realised for a long time. Something also, Wilf, that the Peter Savile plan recognises. Peter Savile plan goes big on Sundays. Are you big on on development of Sundays? I, I am personally. I mean, you look at um, uh, Pontefract, who who never ra- don't race on Saturday for historical reasons. They mm. get you know ten eleven thousand through the doors on uh, on a Sunday. So 
I think when we talk about the shop window and we're talking about you know redeveloping uh, racing, the shop window is really Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm a fan of uh, the building up Sunday. And has increasingly moved that way as well. Um, there have been races dropped from the calendar. Uh, the European free handicap has gone. I think it's in the King Richard III states. Yeah, Leicester, Leicester yeah. has gone as well. So a little bit of fat being trimmed from yeah. the from yeah. the program. Is this an example of the uh, increased agility of the of the BHA? Yeah, I think it is. I think um, again, it comes back to my earlier point, which is you've got to look at um, how races have performed over an extended period of time, both in terms yeah. of numbers of runners and betting turnover. If they're not performing, you've got to get rid of them or replace them. When you were last on the show, you talked. Well, you you talked about the pattern in a slight, not derogatory way, but you were you were quite keen to uh, undermine the notion that this this pattern is sort of sacrosanct and must be you know bowed down to at all times. Is, is that? Well, I think the flat pattern, obviously, and being part of the European flat pattern, is important. I mean, I've never really understood the jumps pattern as such because I don't really know what, what 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 that is. But I mean, I think you can you can trim. The program and uh, adapt the program and not uh, and not not upset the principles of the pattern, and certainly that'd be the guiding principle as we go through these uh, races in 23 and we put the program together for 2024. If you get rid of any race, Paul, which has got some sort of history and has had some decent winners, you're going to get people people up in arms. But you can't, on one hand, say there's too much good racing, too many opportunities forces, and uh, in the same breath say. Why are you getting rid of the European free handicap? No, and, and look, it's, it's the same when any kind of... I don't think these are particularly significant changes, but whenever there's change, racing tends to have this thing, we need to do things differently, we need to change, then you change, and everyone goes, oh, why are we doing that? <laughs> and it is frustrating. So the new, the new structure, the devil will always be in the detail. Is this just a little bit of trimming <laughs> that shows the right thing and that actually some of the more fundamental changes that almost certainly need to happen can get through this process, but it's a, it's a. I feel like anyone that got really upset this week about those two races is going to have a coronary when the 2024 fixture list comes out, aren't they? I mean, it's presumably the whole Listen, structural change to the UK racing. There was a whole, there was a whole website design to save the <laughs> Queen Alexandra stakes. Well, that was a different it, thing, obviously. It, I mean, it, it, it always it turns worked, out to be so. a right filthy each way race. I mean, you've got to save that. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that is the perfect note on which to end this week's Talking Points.